Welcome to the October 2011 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hi, Sean. Nice to be back. Glad to have you at the... I always want to call it the table, because I'm sitting at a table, but you're... Are you at a table? I'm actually at a very nice desk. Okay. You're at a desk in Seattle. I'm at a... I'm, oh, I'm at a desk, but it's a table-like desk in 84 Pennsylvania. Today, by the way, is is decent for September. So what I is what is coming. decent for September? The view of Mount Rainier today out my office window. Oh wow! Yeah, Huge. in Seattle we say I, in Seattle on days like this we go mountains out. Well, That's see, I don't have I have a maple grove behind me, so I get it beautiful in the fall. Mm. But I don't. Beyond that, I don't get Mount Rainier in Pennsylvania. Well, Matt and I are joined today by David Milligan. Hey, David. Good morning. And we are, David is the pastor of Kiskey Valley Presbyterian Church in, of all places, Leechburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kiskey. It's not in Kiskey Valley. Is there a Kiskey Valley? There is no Kiskey Valley. There's a Kiskey area. Okay. But not, not a town, Kiskey Valley. And Kiskey Valley is named after what river? The Kiskaminidus River. All right, that's that is your trivia. I think that was close to a swear word. You better be careful on our podcast, there. <laughs> we get him on, and immediately he's swearing on the show. Um, let's see. David is the author of. You've written, I think, as many books as Matt and I have <laughs> if combined. That's, if that's combined. Zero, combined. Right. That's right. It's amazing. So, well, we topic today, and we do apologize to our listeners. We had a two-month hiatus. We had some technical difficulties uh, one month, and then we had some vacational difficulties. I don't know if the vacations were the difficulty as much as the getting to a computer to record was the difficulty. Uh, but we're back. It's October, and we are recording. We're going to start a new series this month. Uh, something that we've alluded to over the years that we've been doing this podcast. Uh, Matt and I are are both dads. David is a dad. How many how many kids? I always forget how many five. kids. You we have, have five, five now. Matt, he beat us. I know it. It's terrible. Um, so you I've been ha- working hard to catch up, but it's just you know it's tiring. You get over a third of the talk time, David. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he's got the five kids. We only have four apiece. Um, but we are going to talk today about parenting and the ordinary means. How do we get the ordinary means into our kids? Uh, where does that begin with children? And I want to start out with a personal analogy. I think I've mentioned before on the podcast uh, that somewhere back in the history of, uh, of the church that I pastor, there was a time, and I, I, think, I think a number of churches have seen this, where none of the kids who came out of the church knew the Lord, mm. where none of them went on to walk with the Lord. They, they were all involved. Uh, the parents had them every Sunday in Sunday school. Uh, they were coming to church every Sunday. In fact, many of the parents continued through their, uh, you know, through their dying days to, to come to the church. But none of the adult children uh, ever returned to church. And it's an interesting dilemma it's a, it's a horrible dilemma and it's something that obviously as a pastor I've I've thought through again and again and I I don't know that there is a specific answer to it uh, in fact I'm often struck by the fact that in the scripture there is not a case 
uh, that I can think of. If, if one of you guys can think of one, please tell me. I cannot think of a case in Scripture of a godly parent, of a godly man or woman that's given as an example in Scripture who had all believing children. Can you, I mean, can you guys think of one? Bible trivia question. Bible trivia question. You know, I mean, obviously you get Jacob and Esau where it's clear. Jacob and Esau are the extreme case where God just says, you know what? I love the one, I don't love the other. Um, you've got Abraham's kids. Where Abraham is, is probably a little bit down the, down the continuum from that because God does say to Abraham, Ishmael shall not live before me. So you've got another case of God saying, yeah, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be horrible as a parent? Ooh, For God to come brutal. to you and say, I just want you to know that this child of yours will never believe in me. Yeah, yeah that would be terrible. I, <laughs> glad that glad, glad I've not received that pronouncement. <laughs> glad I'm not a prophet nor the son. It's more than a Bible trivia question because it it's on the one hand we have the covenant promises right, but on the other hand, um, we have reality and not a reality that is always um, like both your church and my church. Sean have experienced where a number of the kids, maybe you would say even in that same generation that you're talking about in your church, my church is maybe 15 years older than yours. Um, but you know that there's really a whole generation where extraordinarily few of the kids even attend a church, much less profess faith. The, the way that my one deacon here has wisely put it is that the, the older generation in our church put their kids in Sunday school so that they become Christians and put them in public school so they become good citizens and they became neither. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's 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 very very difficult because there's a whole everybody in our church that is sixty and down are all imports except for two, three, three are kids who grew up in the church. The rest have all been imported, and uh, that's that's devastating it's devastating to those parents and to those grandparents now when you go to some of the funerals of the people who are godly and you hear what their kids and their grandkids say and it's just like oh my this is just obscene literally blasphemous do do you think we've just moved out of a period of cultural christianity and and the new this new generation we're living in now that's that's crying out for authenticity, that hates hypocrisy. Um, you know, the whole generation, whatever. Are we on X or Z or something like that? Is is that what's going on? It's just that the baby boomers, for the baby boomers, Christianity was a was a cultural thing. It was God in America. Um, do you think that's what it is, or was there were there specific things? Because I'm sure this varies from denomination to denomination. I'm sure this is something that we see in every church: is people, you know, on the fringe of the church who bring their kids faithfully, thinking that Sunday school will save their kids. Hmm. Hmm. One of the things I'm glad, Matt, that you said is that the parents are devastated by the fact that their kids don't know Christ. Because I've run into numerous uh, older people whose kids have left the church years and years ago who don't seem very concerned about it. Yes. Really? So, yeah, sort of the mentality of, you know, we're going to love you no matter what, and we're going to turn a blind eye to your sin. It's, it's the same 
it's that same worldview that has sort of crept in with many of the issues in in America today that you know the rise of homosexuality you know kids i remember in, in the first days of people coming out mm-hmm. and they were they've really worked to get through the media i think to get parents to the point of if your kid comes to you and tells you you're gay the the response is i love you and i accept you no matter what you are mm. And I think we've it's had that a, we've same had a worldview. Incident. Yeah, we've had a recent incident even in uh, in one of our churches. Uh, the huge pastoral struggle because you know longtime members of the church and their kid, you know, came out and uh, and the mom's defending him the whole way, even as the church is moving to discipline him for you know unrepentance from sexual sin, no matter what it is. You just like the elders would discipline anybody in sexual sin who's you know, who won't repent, no matter what the form of it is. Yeah. And um, just the parents are having huge difficulties with that. But no, and I think maybe the the root of this, at least as I find it in our church, is that as I, um, as a minister, as I bring the ordinary means to bear, as people are exposed to the word priests, as they're exposed to the to the gospel center, the Christ centered scriptures, as they're uh, we do the Lord's Supper weekly, as they come to the Lord's table weekly, and they're reacquainted by necessity with their sinfulness, with the need of Christ to have lived perfectly for them, to have died for them, and the hope that there is, and that He was raised for them for life now and the life of the world to come. Many of them did not grow up in a church. Um, I don't want to say that they that the gospel wasn't preached. But I think that the gospel was preached as an entrance ticket from unbelievers to the Christian life. And then the gospel wasn't really all that relevant to the Christian life, not for the parents and not for the kids. And so it wasn't really the currency that spiritual life was transacted in. Do you think this is why we have the whole gospel-centered movement now? or at least a, a part of it, is this response. This is, hmm. this is the deck being padded in that direction that, that maybe we should li- not only believe the gospel but live out of it? I think so. I, I, it's probably a helpful correction for people like me or you who are in older churches where there's a fuzzy past in terms of how is the gospel relevant to the Christian life. You know, and and not really bringing out, as you and I have talked about in this podcast many times, Sean, we did a whole series on the gospel-centered movement, you know, to, um, you know, to be as familiar with the structure of the way Paul puts his epistles where he's always reacquainting people with the gospel and then working out the implications of it for them as it applies to the body and to Christian living. And is that the dynamic that... Um, undergirds the church and the way that it thinks about teaching people and helping them live out the Christian life. So in that sense, I think it could be a a helpful corrective. Well, we've seen, similarly, we've seen a a move in Sunday school curriculum. Uh, No longer are we, I mean, it's still out there, but we're not seeing as much now of the David was a hero, uh, David was a hero, Daniel was a hero, be like David and Daniel, uh, sort of Bible as good moral lessons for kids. And I, I think that was part of the generation that we're all referring to when their kids were coming to Sunday school. That's how the Bible was treated, uh, as sort of an Aesop's fables uh, 
uh, with a little bit more history to it. Whereas and it gave you the series of things that you were supposed to work hard at. Yes, uh, exactly. And as long as they were good moral people, everything was fine. Well, and that's the thing is when I meet a lot of these adult children of uh, of people who've since passed away, um, what I see in them is that they're they're trying to be good. They're trying to make. Uh, good choices. They're they're trying to be respectable. They're trying to live uh, up as as you mentioned earlier, Matt, as upstanding citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's completely devoid of Christ. You know that was I, I think of one individual who when I when I talk with him he he says no 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 I went to that church when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That's that has no place in my life now. That was something I did when I was a kid. Um, and just this continuing conversation I have with him about how you need, you need this now. <laughs> Do you think part of the problem was that their parents viewed Christianity as only belonging in church, and then at home it was a whole different scenario? Yeah, the the old problem of compartmentalizing your life. Sure. I think so. I think that was, you know, all the things that we've been. Um, complaining about and arguing about for the past 20, 30 years, uh, all the errors that we've seen in our society. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's one of them that it's Christianity isn't just about Sunday morning. And, and especially I'm going to pick on Pittsburghers, uh, you know, especially in uh, a sports town Mm. Mm. Sunday, Mm -hmm. it's Sunday morning is church and you'll get people who are you know, admit we will be at church on Sunday morning, but don't go a minute longer than you need to go because we've got to get home and get ready for the Steelers game. Mm. At and, least you have people coming. At least have people yeah. coming before the game. What you is funny? There's a uh, there's a church down the road. Their sign this week says, um, uh, "The best way to spend Sunday: worship and football." Oh, worship then football. Oh, worship then football. Is that, that's what it says. Uh, and I'm assuming they mean to emphasize the word then. Yes, I think. Charitably, yes. Charitably. Charitably, yes. Um, charitably, yeah. Well, and I think, too, that there's another distinction that I think was lost. Um, so it, let me draw a connection and see if you guys agree. Cause oh, may, you know, actually. Just, uh, doing it in my brain. Matt, real so. quick. Back, uh, to, oh. back to that sign. I do wonder, though, because it's a, it's a fairly liberal church. I do wonder mm. if maybe they show football during the worship service. Mm. It's possible. That given, was suggested to me actually this given, week. Given the church, well, do you have a big screen TV or a projector in your church? Uh, we don't have a projector, but uh, we do have a big screen in another room. But, um, anyways, that that was suggested to me oh, that I, maybe I, we do, you know, the service, then the game, then the sermon, or something like that. Something yeah, along. Those lines. I, I was at the local mega church this week, and oh, really? they, yeah, and they were. Uh, I was, I was thinking about it. I'm thinking, man, the technology they have available here, this would be the perfect place to watch football. Because hmm. they've got just huge, huge screens. They've got TVs they all over the place, comfy chairs. Do they have cup holders? Do they have cup holders? Yeah, well, it was theater seating, so it might have cup holders. <laughs> I don't know. They put cup, kind of like in the movie theater. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you were going to say, Matt. Well, I was going to say that I think that one of the things, and I don't mean to use a cliche, but this has been very, very helpful to me as I've thought about things and tried to help our people. 
our our people, many of especially the older folks, but even some of our baby boomers who you know have a certain concept of church where there's a more authentic Christianity, but there's still kind of a concept of church that church is what happens on Sunday morning. That is the sub and substance of it. That's church. And the difference between what we've tried to distinguish here, that if the gospel is something that gets preached to unbelievers, <clears throat> and that that primarily happens, even in the history of my Presbyterian church, um, through an altar called at the end of a service, and that's part of the history of my church, um, not a present part of our history, but it's a part of our history, then when the gospel gets reduced to that role in the life of the church, um, then and the gospel doesn't have a spot somewhere else, um, then there's a, I think there's a correlation there where most people's concept of church, if you use it generically, is an hour and a half thing you go to. It's a facility that you go to for a specific set of actions, and that is the sub and substance of what church means to them. Versus um, that is almost absent in the New Testament. Uh, in a sense of church, most of the time when church is used in the New Testament, it's the collection of people. It's a it's it's an um, and certainly has some organizational elements, but it's an organism, not a place to go to. And so, one of the ways that that's recently been talked about that I find helpful, although it's got obviously can have some problems, um, is the difference between being the church rather than going to church. And that if the gospel is something that is all the time through our lives. Now those one another commands of what it means to be the church and what it means to have church be something that's more than Sunday, but it's something that's throughout the week with this community of believers that I'm with and that we're trying to keep speaking the gospel to each other as it applies to the way we're trying to live out life. That's a very different concept of um, of church. Now, that, that it's a good distinction between... Church being who we are and what we do, and obviously you, you and I, we had John Frame, uh, and John Frame really pu- pushed that mm-hmm. in his teaching that um, that worship isn't wor- worship is is lifestyle over against worship as an hour on a Sunday morning. However, we've got to also remember that once we get that distinction that one of the things the church does as the church is get together and worship. Absolutely. In, I mean, in fact, in, in it's, past my, my, times... It's not with that. It's with, it's with the fact that that's all people think about. Yes. And that yes. relates to what David just said a little while ago, is that there are people who are genuine Christians. They're not Sunday Christians in the sense of that their Christianity doesn't inform the rest of their lives. But there's some and substance of what they think being a good church member involves only relates to Sunday. And in that sense, they could be a genuine Christian who raises a kid up who really sees that there's no applicability of this Christianity to the rest of what we do other than inform our ethics. But it doesn't constrain our lifestyle. It doesn't orient us in a kingdom direction as a family doesn't determine who we spend time with or what our priorities are as a family. That's um, the first thing I thought of when I heard the topic was ordinary means of grace need to be ordinary in your family. They can't just be occasional. Yeah. It can't just be something you do when the pastor is coming or 
uh, <laughs> around Christmas or whatever. But do pa- do pastors come still? Do they do they still show up and, I, I and catechize house, your kids like I, Richard I make, Baxter? I make house calls. Yes. <laughs> But you're, I think you're right, David. I think you're right on. Is that that there's a big difference. It, it, it would be. It's not that um, it, kids don't end up professing faith in families where there's family worship, for example, where the ordinary means is a daily experience of the kids. Um, but I think that God chooses to uh, uh, affirm His covenant promises um, through those means that we don't divorce the two of them. Mm-hmm. But I think that in the older generation, those were very frequently divorced. Mm-hmm. So let me let me draw this out because we're making the distinction between the the church as a people, in the rate and the fact that the raising our kids, we want if we want to get the word of God into them, if we want them to grow up being kids who pray, uh, you know, if we want to if we want them to be kids who you know, are saying, you know, hey, mom, dad, when do I get to take the Lord's Supper? Why, you know, why can't I yet? And and when, you know, what does that involve? Um, It's not just seeing church as an hour on Sunday that I think we do wrong, but there's even this element of the things the church does versus the things that the family does. So, for example, um, you know, thinking of the church not only just as Sunday morning, but thinking of it as, as the activities revolving around the church. So, for example, if I show up to a, we have church work days a few times a year where everybody shows up on a Saturday and they help fix up the church, keep the building together. Um, that's something as well that somebody can look at and say, well, I went to the work day, therefore I've I've been a part of the church. Whereas what we're bringing out now, what David just said, was that we've got to bring this into the family. And if we bring it into the family, it's going to have, I think, two two aspects. Uh, I think there's a child-word aspect, and I think there's a God-word aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with the God-word. I have to live before God, whether there are children in my house or not. I've got to be praying. I've got to be reading my Bible. I've got to be thinking through. And see, it's not just that, because again, those are churchy things. Those are activities, praying, reading my Bible. Uh, and it's possible to pray every day and read your Bible every day and not be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to reading my Bible, praying in such a way that it's getting into me, and I'm asking the hard questions about my job, about how I raise my kids, about how I love my wife, and my and my kids are seeing this. You know, who was the who was the the pastor that was said to bleed when you if you pricked him he would bleed scripture? Was that John Ryle? Bunyan. That was Bunyan. Okay, uh, we have to bleed scripture to the point where any time our kids brush past us, we're bleeding scripture. Now, obviously, the easy way to do that is you just memorize scripture and every once in a while quote it to your kids every time they walk past you. But again, that's works. What does grace look like? Grace looks like, I know the Lord. I've experienced his forgiveness. I've seen his help in in these circumstances in my life. And now as my kid is getting older and they're going through these circumstances that they're facing and that I faced once, they come to me and they say, what do I do? And I say, well, here's what God showed me. 
And so there is this this constant God is all, God has to always be in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not God's in the house on um, you know Sunday. <clears throat> excuse me, God's in the house uh, Sunday after church because we read the Bible at lunch. Then, you know, or God's in, in the house for ten minutes after dinner when we read the Bible, or you know, or God's in the house for the for the thirty seconds before our meals when we pray. <laughs> It's, it's got to be God is in the house continually, and we're constantly looking for him. Hey, kids, where's God in this? You know, it's like mm. hide and se- mm-hmm. this game of hide-and-seek constantly going on. Where's God in this? And you get, you, you know, you get to dinner and you say, hey, kids, how was school today? And they say, well, it was fine. I didn't really like, I don't really like my new teacher. And you say, well, why don't you like your new teacher? Well, because, you know, because my new teacher gave this assignment. I didn't really like this assignment. Well, then how do you begin to draw your child out? Uh, Dave and I were talking before we, we got on, talking about Shepherding a Child's Heart, Tim mm-hmm. Tripp's book. And that's, I think that's, the, that's where that book is a classic, is it actually helps you without giving you this sort of rote methodology. It actually helps you to think about how do I talk to my kids about Jesus? Because I think for for some of us about everyday about, about everyday, everyday life, life. About yeah every yeah right. absolutely you know about yeah. what they just did. how do I talk to my kids you know what does them not liking their teacher have to do with Jesus or just the things of God you mean I, we when we were up in New Hampshire one of the things a uh, pastor up there Steve McGee would say his daughter scraped her knee and as he was putting the bandaid on and kissing it to make it feel better he talked to her about heaven. You know, where there will be no more pain, and drew that out. You know that here's something a child who's crying can understand the pain of a fallen world, and yet the world to come, mm. looking beyond these things. And it's not just he wasn't doing that as a cliche, right? Right. Uh, it wasn't just because that's what his mom did with him. That was his real worldview he was imparting to his daughter. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think that that worldview, that understanding of who Christ is, what the gospel means in everyday life, is in the forefront of enough of our minds, enough of the time. Too often we just go and, oh, get up and get on with life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. We're, we're, Even we're as not... pastors and how we apply the gospels to ourselves and our own woes, um, I'm finding that I'm not very good at that, frankly. Which, you know... How that helps me every time I see my faults in my own walk with God, I think as a pastor, Lord, thank you for showing me my faults because it will help me to be more gracious toward my congregation. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us as pastors to just lay down the law and jump on their case because they don't evangelize and they don't read their Bible and they don't pray those stupid gets in our con- in our congregation. Uh, we would never call them that to their face, although if any of my congregation is listening to this podcast, they uh, think I just called them a stupid git. That w- it was an illustration. Uh, the, uh, we, we need to be gentler. You know, it's, it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. And I think the same thing is true with our kids. It's our kindness that leads them to repentance. Now, sometimes I get mad at my kids, and and I'm chewing them out 
for something that they've done that I've told them a hundred times they need to do, and they just can't get it through their thick little skulls, and I'm chewing them out for it. And, and, and they respond. They obey me. They get going and do what needs to be done, but they're not enjoying the repentance. They're not looking to me and going, I'm so happy to repent for my father right now. Um, they're doing it because they know I'm mad. Uh, and certainly isn't there that aspect of, uh, of God's character, that God does get mad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that God is a, an angry God. He's a jealous God. He doesn't like it when we continue in sin as, as his people. He doesn't as a like, good father. Yeah, he's a good father. He, he doesn't wasn't. like when his children... And sometimes, in order to wake us up, he's got to yell at us. You know, my, my favorite illustration is the is the, God has to take a two-by-four to us. I remember the old, you know, Three Stooges where they, they'd be walking along with a two-by-four and every time they'd turn around, they'd whack the other guy in the head. You know, sometimes God's got to whack us in the head with a two-by-four to get our attention. And I think sometimes dads have to yell at their kids to get their attention. But I think at the heart of that has to be the father who loves his kids. Mm. Because Mm -hmm. otherwise, it's an abusive father. And God is never an abusive father. God's anger is always righteous and justified. And, And, you know, the Bible makes it clear the outbursts, our outbursts of anger do not achieve the righteousness of God. Um, so we have to be very careful about the reasons why we get mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we do, it gives us an opportunity to model biblical repentance. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yes, when we, when we mess up. I See, I, I tell my congregation that is the, the best way to learn repentance is every time you do something wrong to your kids – Go to them and repent. And you just, your kids will learn how to repent. They'll learn how to get forgiveness. They will learn how to, um, how to respond in, in humility. <laughs> if you have humility, they'll learn how to respond. You know, they'll learn not to try to do it themselves. One of the things I talk with my kids about, I have one child in particular who, uh, who instead of uh, the way I say it to her is, are you are are you letting Jesus fix that? or Are you trying to fix that? Talking about her mm, sin. That's a crucial question. Yeah, are you letting Jesus fix that? or Are you trying to fix that sin? And you know, and her tendency is, I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to blame it on my sister. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm I'm going to find some reason why I did this just now. But none of those reasons are going to involve my heart. And that's the question. You know, come to do you uh, are you are you trying to fix this, or are you letting Jesus fix this? Um, mm. And we've we've got to be, see we've got to be having those conversations. And the impression that I get, um, because obviously we're all younger. I think David gets the the old award for this podcast. <laughs> that's right. um, w- this generation that we didn't pastor, whose kids don't know the Lord, um, there was that element of Christianity was a cliche. It was just a cultural part of what we do. 
it wasn't me repenting to my kids and my kids repenting to me and living Christianity before their eyes. Because honestly, the, the reason many of these kids grew up and left was because they saw, and, and this is, again, the, the, the God word. I, we haven't even gotten to the child word element here, but the, the God word element is I've got to live my Christianity in this world, just me and God, i got to live that out. And if my kids look at me and they see me putting on the happy face on Sunday morning, and they see me in church when people say, how you doing? And, I, and I'm saying, oh, I'm doing great. You know, great to be here. Great to see you, George. And then I get home and I'm complaining to my wife about George because the guy annoys me to no end, right? And my kids mm-hmm. are seeing this. Maybe I'm not thinking, but I'm living a completely different life at home than I am when I'm in church. My kids see that, and kids can smell a, smell a hypocrite at 100 yards. Mm-hmm. And they yep. will say... No doubt. They will say, clearly, Christianity is not the solution to my problems. Mm. Because my dad never needed it. He <laughs> solved his problems on his own. And that's I, that's the... The horribly convicting part of this is that if we want our kids to get it, at least as far as our responsibility goes, because again, at the end of the day, we can't make our kids Christians. And that is both terrifyingly scary and amazingly comforting. That it's not my responsibility. Oh, I mean, it is my responsibility to seek to bring my kids to the Lord that they might uh, kneel at the cross. Mm-hmm. But I can't make them. I don't have the power within me. I, we, this is probably a good point to point a uh, place to point out. You know, the proverbs. The the proverb everybody goes to. Uh, if you uh, raise your child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when they are old, they will not depart from it. I, I mixed a couple of verses there. Um, uh, that's not a promise. It's a proverb. And there is a difference there that we can, that we can tend to miss. That when the Bible says that, it means that, that generally children who are raised in a godly Christian home where Christianity is lived out before them every day of their life will not walk away from the Lord. Or if they do, they'll know where to come back when they're when they're in the muck with the prodigal son, but that children who don't see that, um, they're they're just gonna they're, they're gonna walk away because uh, they don't have anything to cling to. Their parents never gave them something that was sure and applied to them every day of their lives. So, th- so that's the. They didn't the, see that model. They didn't see Christianity like that modeled to them. Modeled to them. They didn't catch that kind of Christianity from their parents. Yeah, the kind of Christianity, and I think this is where the Puritans are so incredibly helpful. The kind of Christianity that you knew it was a Puritan town because you walked, if you walked on the streets on a Sunday afternoon, you could hear the sound of hymns being sung in every house. Hmm. Hmm. Um, that kind of Christianity, we don't know that anymore. Um, and it's it's up to uh, it's up to the Christians today to recover that, to recover something that looks like 
Christianity as a lifestyle and not just as an assumption. Hmm. A lifestyle that has priority over other things. A lifestyle mm-hmm. that, that makes time, in other words, for conversation around the dinner table or for learning a hymn. Not just a lifestyle in theory. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I teach a class at a, um, at a study center, uh, all Christian high schoolers, or, or at least you know some, some profession of faith. And I asked them the other day, I said, if... It's it's the afternoon. You finished your homework. You um, you've got a couple hours before dinner. How many of you decide the best way to spend my time right now would be reading my Bible or praying? Hmm. And none of them raise their hands. That right there says something about the culture our kids are growing up in. Because even though I can't save my kids. I have a responsibility. And see, that's the thing that I think uh, some extremes of Christianity don't get. That there are two levels here. That there are two things going on. I can't save my kids. Only God can do that. But I have a responsibility. And so what you get, you'll find the extremes that say, if my kids aren't saved, it's all my fault. And then mm-hmm. you'll have the extremes on the other side who will say... Um, there's nothing I can do to save my kids, so I'm not even going to try. And obviously the answer is in the middle. There's nothing I can do to save my kids, but I have a responsibility to lead my kids to the Lord and give them everything they need in order to be saved. Am I, I, I'm Spurgeon's uh, morning devotional this morning from his morning and evening was, uh, the text was from Judges, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is exactly what he was bringing out. It's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And it's and although Gideon did have a few issues. Oh, Gideon there. had a lot of issues, but that's what all the men yelled. Thunder you're talking about Thunder Boy? Lightning Boy? <laughs> um, yeah. So so if we want well, it, to you know I'm struck by that I'm struck by what you said about the kids not not thinking that reading the Bible and praying was a good use of time. Because I think that one of the things that I've discovered about my own heart is that prayer is one of those things that no one sees, so you never get appreciated for praying. And what you don't stand on street corners. David and I stand on street corners and pray. What's that? <laughs> David and I stand on street corners and pray just to yes, make sure people yes, notice as loudly as right. we can. But it's it's something that only God sees. And that when you, I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, right? I'm preaching through Matthew, but I'm in the Sermon on the Mount right now, and it assumes that there's something about that 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 t- that rings in your heart when Jesus says that. But I think for a lot of people, myself included at times, it, there's no ring in my heart about that, that my father does see it and he's pleased. is doesn't necessarily seem all that relevant, that it could be the most important thing, that even as a pastor, the most crucial thing I could do, much less always be meeting people or reading something or writing something or teaching something that... It, that Prayer as a most important thing I could do in a day doesn't track with many modern people. That doesn't it doesn't jive. It seems horribly inefficient and and how could it really help? But of course that's a that's not a uh that's not an excuse and it's not even a great place to be. Um but how do we help people get from there? How do we help our kids see um 
And I think this is where trip is great. How do we help them see that prayer is so vital? It's by showing them, modeling to them prayer throughout a day about real life, about the conflict you just had with your brother, about the difficulty you're having with your schoolwork, about um, praying for daddy because daddy gets angry and needs to repent at times and I need you to pray for me. Mm-hmm. And it's that modeling of of uh, the ordinary means as a lifestyle mm-hmm. that I think it make uh, God can use as a tool in our kids' lives to see them truly converted and, and be useful tools in his hands to expand his kingdom. Hmm. There's a lot more we could say about this. I think I think we're going to need to uh I think we're going to need to close here and bring this back next month because I'm I'm sure that at least uh two of our three listeners are are hearing this and they're saying we decided because of the hiatus we probably lost um we thought we had five listeners. We probably lost two of you because of our hiatus this past couple months. So I kn- but we know three of you are, are here, and uh, we know that none of the three of you are our wives because our wives have told us they don't listen to this podcast. Um, but we, I, I think we need to come back. I think we need to address this. I mean, I think there's some very practical direction we can go with this in terms of how do we get sermons into our kids? How do we get? A, how do we teach our kids to love listening to sermons? How do we teach our kids to pray and love praying? How do we? How do we get our kids longing? And I think this goes back, Matt, to something you said earlier. Um, you know, the Lord's Supper is where the God who can't be seen gets seen. Mm-hmm. Church on Sunday morning is where the God who can't be seen gets seen. And I think that's the thing we miss about why it's so important to bring our kids to church is because here... It is God's ordinary means of grace working. Here is where he is showing himself the way he has shown himself throughout all of history in the, in the assembly, the ecclesia, the assembly of God's people. Mm. Um, and again, not because the church is a building, but because the church is the people. And mm-hmm. passing that on to the next generation, as each of the three of us are seeing in our congregations, as we see kids grow up, and I think this is going to be fascinating to have this conversation if we're still doing this podcast. Probably in, in 40 years, this uh, podcasts will all be on some new technology. I don't, we'll have microchips. We'll have the Chips internet. in our brain, Sean. We'll, we'll just have to think it, and it'll be. We'll all be wired into the internet, um, sitting in chairs like uh, a WALL-E, the Disney movie WALL-E. We'll all be fat people drinking Slurpees. Um and but listening to podcasts, listening to the ordinary means podcast in particular. But I think in forty years, I think it will be interesting to ask the question: where where have we seen the kids that we've pastored over our ministries go? And that will be a time of of I think rejoicing. I think it'll also be a time of of hard self examination. And hopefully, at some point, we can pass some wisdom on to the men who follow us. Um, and if we can just do that, if we can just pass a little bit of wisdom on, then this this podcast has been worth it, um, because that means somebody else is seeking uh, to worship God in all of life and seek Him through His ordinary means. So the Lord bless you uh, richly as you do that, as you seek Him through His ordinary means, and we'll see you next month. <laughs>